This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up... The typical workplace isn't as attractive anymore. Do I really need to take the time to understand and learn more if I've already been there and done that? For me, the answer is yes. Those simple practices, ask, listen, take responsibility, are the ones that make the most difference. Not just listen and move on, but listen to reflect and then respond. It's great advice. Hi, I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers, and we're joining you for episode five of season three of Leadership Letters after a little break. And that little break has involved some separation of Leadership Letters. Those of you who've been with us for some time will know that we spend time in conversation with our leadership guests, hearing their letter and offering you food for thought, inspiration, challenge, and ideas from those leaders and their experiences. We then go on to share our Leadership Letters Lowdown that has a new home now in the form of Towards Leadership. I'm passionate about the fact that hearing all these insights, inspiration, approaches, experiences from our guests are an important and rich resource. And I'm equally passionate that in sharing those ideas, it's important to equip you, if you need it, with a sense of how to do these things, some ways to get there. So our new sister podcast, Towards Leadership, is where we'll be chewing over some of what we've heard in the leadership letters and also where we'll be taking a deeper dive into those read, watch and listen to resources that we used to share in the lowdown and sharing tools, techniques, reflective exercises, thinking, support and challenge for you as leaders so that you can translate those inspirational thoughts you're hearing into something actionable and practical. This is Leadership Letters. Our guest today is a young person that pioneered youth mental health awareness during the pandemic from her bedroom by founding a youth-led peer community, Championing Youth Minds. She has lived and struggled with her mental health from a young age after developing long-term disabilities, fibromyalgia and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Navigating mental health support as a young female in the South Asian community has especially been a challenge due to the stigma and superstitions attached to mental health that she experienced. And she therefore advocates for mental health education and suicide prevention to recognise the intersectionality of identities and cultural factors. I'm delighted to welcome Tanya Mawaha, the founder of Championing Youth Minds, to the Leadership Letters podcast. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So Tanya, we always start with early experiences of leadership. And to date, I'll be honest, my guests have been a little bit older and they've had to cast (laughs) their minds back a bit further than perhaps you have. And that's why I think you're going to bring such important perspective um, to the podcast. So how have they influenced what you are saying, doing as a young leader now? When I was thinking about this question, I was really thinking about when was the first time I came across someone who was in a leadership position and really reflected on their role as a leader. And it uh, took me back to middle school when there was this one specific teacher who was the head of citizenship. And he kind of gave off that vibe that he was a leader. He was very quite, um, I guess, stern in the way he came across. And I remember just thinking, wow, his role must be so difficult managing multiple people and, you know, having to carry himself in such a way, it must be such a stressful job. Um, But the one thing that really confused me about him was that there was this image of him as a leader, but then there was also an image of him 
constantly interacting with us and asking us questions about, you know, I'm the head of citizenship, how would you like your lessons? Really listening to us and giving us a chance to shape what I thought was his role to shape, but he was giving us that voice through it. And I think that's what made, really made me reflect on, okay, what is a leader and how am I perceiving this? Is a leader kind of just, you know, saying you do X, Y, Z, we do X, Y, and Z, and that's it? Or is it more kind of the image that he portrayed, which was a two-way conversation? Um, and that's kind of always something that stuck with me when I've um, experienced my own time as a leader as well. It was really coming back to, okay, is this one-dimensional or are we having a two-way conversation? That's the kind of leadership that I think many of the people that I work with and talk to aspire to, that sense of a combination of um, presence mm-hmm. um, and you know an awareness of what we're all here to do with that two-way conversation. So how has that early realisation of how well that works influenced what you do now and what you look for now? Yeah, I think I definitely have discarded that notion of, you know, when you're a younger child and you think the leader is really bossy and you kind of just follow what they say and you don't really have anything that you can contribute to the conversation. It's completely disregarded that uh, image that I had in my head and really just humanise the role of a leader. Um, At the end of the day, they are just another person with slightly different set of responsibilities, but you can have that of interpersonal conversation with them as well going into the workplace now as a fresh graduate has definitely made it a less, lot less daunting interacting with leaders um, because in your head you imagine that hierarchy but from those experiences um, and experiencing myself as well I've kind of just understood that just a very normal role um, there's nothing to be scared of there's nothing there's no big gap between a leader and everyone else a leader can be integrated with everyone else And in terms of the work that you do around mental health, what do you see as the connection between a workplace in which you see yourself where there's an understanding of role, but there's a sense of equality, of conversation, of all contributing? What, if any, connection do you make between well-being and those kinds of work environments? To me, they sound as though they are very necessary to each other. But what's your take on that? Yeah, definitely. I think well-being is integral to every single aspect of workplace and our daily lives. And I think when we're talking about a leader, well-being should be a priority for them as well when it comes to interacting with others within the workplace and um, how they lead as a role model as well. At the end of the day, a leader is a role model and are meant to set by example. So, for example, if we're talking about work-life balance, I want to see a leader that's going to show that they value their well-being and they are valuing a work-life balance. And I think with the mental health awareness work that I've been doing as a young person, it's really been to you know, empower young people the same age as me to understand that that's what we want to look for in a leader. We don't want to go into a workplace where stereotypically you work, you're overworked 15, 16 hours a day and the leaders do the same thing. And that's just the norm. Because when I was at university before I started Champion of Youth Minds, that's what I genuinely thought was okay Um, and so many of us young people are being told that you know if you want to climb the corporate ladder that's how you get there by sacrificing your well-being because those at the top those who are leading have done that already and so I think it's really about kind of pushing boundaries and setting new role models new role models for our younger generation and what we want to see that truly matters to a leader in the coming generations. That's so interesting because a lot of the leaders that I have encountered have found it really challenging to 
do for themselves what they know they need to be doing for others Mm -hmm. so I find myself often saying well if you're not doing it for yourself how can you expect people to believe that it's okay Mm -hmm. for them to do it but how much difference does it make to actually see your leaders walking that talk rather than saying it but not necessarily doing it how important is the relationship between those two things in your experience so I actually have a good example I was having a conversation with a friend who is working at um, a different organization and she was saying that she is too scared to leave work even though she's finished with her work at six because she wants to make sure that her boss leaves before she leaves Um, and I said you know why is that the case did you speak to your boss and decide that maybe if you're finished by six you can leave at six and she said yes yes like my boss said that it was completely okay for me to leave by six or before six as long as I'm done with the work I don't need to ask so I said okay if, if that's okay then why are you still nervous to leave before your boss and she said because I've never seen him leave before his boss um so if he's never done that then how can I just do that even though he's told me it's okay. And I think it's really about thinking, you know, what are other individuals seeing? If you're saying one thing, but you're doing the other thing, how can that be believable? It needs to match up, right? So when when a leader is talking about logging off at five or six and, you know, not touching your work laptop over the weekend, then you would hopefully expect that over the weekend they wouldn't be online or sending emails. So I think it's really about you, you be what you see. And I think especially with young people coming into the workplace, which is definitely something that I relate to a lot, is that you are shaped by what you're exposed to. And I think that's why, especially nowadays, young people are quite more cautious when they're applying to workplaces and they're accepting job offers because that is a priority now. It is a priority now to have that work-life balance. It's a priority that if, for example, an organisation is saying we value diversity, equity and inclusion, we want to see it. We want to see evidence. We don't want to see it written down on an annual DNI report. We want to see it in practice. And how do you look for that evidence? What do you want leaders to be providing in terms of the evidence that reassures you this is a workplace in which I'm going to be set up to thrive? I think transparency is the most important thing. You know, if you are uh, at the end of your, your year saying that you've done X, Y and Z in terms of diversity, equity and inclusion, then you know, show us, have you celebrated International Persons with Disabilities Day? If so, how did that happen? Who got involved? Who put that together? We just want to see transparency and be able to question that as well and have honest answers. I think for me as well, one thing that was important when I was looking for jobs as a young person with non-visible disabilities, I was going into those assessment centres and interviews, um, interviewing them, not quite under the impression that they were just interviewing me it was a two-way kind of conversation because it was quite easy for me to gauge who was truly inclusive and accessible and who wasn't it's something for organizations to think throughout the entire employee life cycle you know before you even make that application what's on the website what content are they being exposed to rather than thinking of it as just when the employee is in the workplace I'm going to be completely honest, our generation is great at questioning. And I think, (laughs) yeah, it's it's amazing. And I think other people need to be more comfortable with being questioned and to be able to, you know, maybe just own up and say, we might have said this, but we're not doing it to the full capacity that we could be. Rob Stevenson, who came on this podcast, who is also a a mental health champion, and he, he talked about how much investment goes into tackling the impact of work environments that either cause or exacerbate poor mental health. 
and the importance of pouring resource into preventing the problems rather than only addressing them once they exist. So what do you see in terms of the future of a workplace that's doing what you're describing, that's transparent, and that's not only transparent, but it's done the work of digging a bit deeper into what inclusivity means, into what diversity means to them, into how they create environments in which everybody feels if they can't thrive, that they certainly have a voice in which to say what they need to thrive. And the second part of that question is, what do you believe is the impact if they don't? Yeah, I think the main point right now that we're seeing is employee retention, um, especially with young people where we're a lot more kind of, I think we'd put our foot down and, and leave somewhere if we don't think that it's serving us in the way we want to serve us. So I think employee retention, if you're doing it well, then, you know, your employees are going to want to say, likewise, if you're not doing it well or you're not doing it at all, but you're saying you are, employees are ready to leave. I think it's definitely been kind of exaggerated by the coronavirus pandemic because there are now so many other ways that you can get involved in business become your own boss um so the typical nine to five or the typical workplace isn't as attractive anymore um and I think definitely the impact on an individual from I think that's something that we don't really focus on enough is the impact on an individual that a workplace can make a very good workplace can absolutely support an employee to thrive and hit their full potential, whereas the exact opposite can be so detrimental to someone. I've seen with some colleagues of mine at university that did two months in a specific company for an internship, and their mental health after those two two months had such a big difference from when they first started. And that filters in through to the rest of their time at university, when they're applying for jobs next time. So I think it's really about that long-term impact um, you know, what support is available? How is that support being communicated? You know, if you do, for example, have mental health first aiders, how accessible are they actually? Um, and, you know, sometimes I see with organisations, they're doing great work around having mental health first aiders and having that training in place, but their culture is still lacking open conversation around mental well-being and looking after your well-being. Therefore, employees are not kind of encouraged to access the mental health first aiders so I think it's really about that overall cultural shift because this is a turning point unless they don't seriously engage in those conversations they are going to suffer in the future because the new generation that's coming in want to have those serious conversations um but I think it's something that unfortunately some organizations and some individuals aren't necessarily taking as seriously as they should and I wonder sometimes where there is the good intention that doesn't quite translate yet into the level of quality of attention that you're talking about to those issues. In your work with championing youth minds, I'm interested in, for example, if there were a young person coming into an organisation who had an invisible disability, for example, or had some mental health issues that they didn't feel confident to raise at interview, for example, I wonder what questions would lift, as you've described, lift it from lip service and into something where, as a young person coming into an organisation with all that you offer, you truly feel able to answer that question honestly. That's something that I've struggled with is when is the right time, if there is a right time. There's no, unfortunately, there's no how-to guide on when to disclose, if to disclose, how to disclose, which becomes really difficult, especially when it's non-visible and no one can just guess it straight off the bat. Um, I was working with one organisation last year and I was 
digging deep into when they are interviewing potential candidates, are they asking the question as soon as they get on the phone with them of, are there any reasonable adjustments that you may need during this interview or the rest of the interview process? Or is there anything that you would like to tell us about yourself before we start the interview so we're able to accommodate you, um, you know, in the in the best way? And I found out that it was really up to the kind of recruiter's choice whether they wanted to ask that question or whether they even had that in mind. Um, so I think it's really about standardizing that process we have there are select individuals in each organization who truly really care about diversity equity inclusion for example in non-visible disabilities they will really care and they will make sure that in everything they do they think about inclusivity and accessibility but most often than not there's no standardized implementation of that across processes and across organizations which means that it's really just up to chance whether you get someone who you feel comfortable enough to dispose it to or who may ask you that question for you to then disclose it or perhaps it may never come up in conversation and then you might come off of that interview like oh god when do I when do I bring it up if I bring it up how do I bring it up so it is quite difficult and I think it's really about thinking about as individuals no matter what our role is in an organization how can we bring that inclusivity and accessibility and what we do perhaps it is when we put in meetings in each other's calendars is asking would you prefer a video call? Would you prefer to meet in person? An audio call? Would you prefer to talk through message or email? Small things like that can really make a big difference. And I think, especially as someone junior coming into an organization, you don't know if that's okay. You don't know if you should be asking that or you should just, the norm is to have an in-person meeting. So I should come into office and have an in-person meeting. So I think it goes back to setting by example as well. It doesn't just have to be a leader. I think we're all leaders in our own way within within organizations and within our daily life so we can choose how we integrate those into everything we do and even though we might not realize we might be setting a great example as a leader to someone else it's so interesting that point you make about standardizing the practice mm -hmm. because for somebody who doesn't need the question doesn't matter whether they get asked it or not yeah. But for somebody who does, it's so important. And especially, as you say, when it, if you're asked those questions at the point of entry, then that's that's basically making a statement. We are we want to have this conversation. And then if you're not, as you've described, it then becomes about you trying to putting energy that would be better placed as far as the organization is concerned, energy that you could be more usefully and productively putting towards other things. Energy going on thinking about when do I say who do I say this to? What, yeah. to, to what extent do I talk about all that kind of thing there's a lot of organizations that need you Tanya I think <laughs> I'd <laughs> so, love to help <laughs> I know we've asked you to write a letter which is what this podcast is all about who have you written to because we'd love to hear your letter but tell us first who you've written to and why yep so I've I've written this letter to my ideal leader in the workplace um, but towards the end, I'm going to iterate my current leader in the workplace and you'll be able to see how they do or do not fit into what my ideal um, leader in the workplace would be like. And the reason why I chose this was because um, everything that I've just spoken about, about that accessibility and inclusivity and setting example, how would I want that to be seen in practice? OK, great. To my ideal leader in the workplace as a young person with non-visible disabilities. Leadership is a big responsibility, I understand that, but I hope that you can and will take the time to understand and learn from me too. Growing up, I've always seen your role as a leader as stressful and difficult, 
which from my experience has proven to be true. But I truly believe there is so much joy you must feel as a leader. You are the leader I look up to. I expect you to teach me, guide me and support me through my journey in the workplace. I will ask you questions and be curious so I can grow both professionally and personally. Also, I expect that you will take the time to understand who I am and ask me questions. I hope that you will also be curious about me, question me and take the time to put yourself in my shoes. Yes, I agree that some time ago you would have been in my shoes as a young person starting out in the world of work. So you might ask yourself, do I really need to take the time to understand and learn more if I've already been there and done that? For me, the answer is yes, and I hope that you will see that too. I might be starting out in the same shoes you once did, but I face a different set of circumstances. I live with daily struggles that no one else can see and many people have never experienced. You would be aware that I disclosed my disabilities of fibromyalgia and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome to the company before I started and mentioned it to you the first day we spoke. You may wonder what does that mean for you as a leader who is meant to be supporting me. You may think that it's letting me know that I can talk to you when I need to or sign posting me to the available employee assistance program and HR. But please just do ask me. Don't forget to ask me how my conditions affect my daily life and taking the time to discuss with me how that might impact my time at work in this new role. I hope you won't just look at me with a puzzled expression when I say the words fibromyalgia and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but you will follow up with a curiosity to learn more so you can better support me. I hope that you won't only see me as another graduate joining your busy workplace, but as an individual you wish to guide through this journey. I hope that despite your leadership position, we are able to develop a dynamic of equals. After all, we are both learning from each other in different ways. I hope we get to have personal conversations and you value my well-being as well as your own. I hope that you can lead by example for myself and for others. There is no age to stop learning. A big part of leadership is that continuous learning from others. And I hope you truly value the potential to learn from others like myself during your own journey as a leader. And finally, to my current workplace leader, Laura, thank you for taking the time to understand me, ask questions and learn from me too so you can be the best leader to me. Many thanks, Tanya Mawaha. We just need to send that to every leader who Because <laughs> there it all is. Those points you make around take care with your assumptions, be curious, you know, ask those genuine questions and be interested in the answers both ways. Yeah. What I love about your letter is those simple practices of yeah. ask, listen, take responsibility are the ones that make the most difference yeah we all know what it's like to be listened to how do you know the difference between somebody who is ticking a box of listening to you and showing the level of interest that you have just outlined because I think there's also something about perhaps leaders fearing that they haven't got time I happen to believe if you're giving yourself giving someone your full attention time does something different and you can achieve a lot more in a short space of time. But what's your experience of that quality of attention that's needed? Yep. I mean, I can give a great example. I only started this job at the, the start of this month, actually. And um, I was having a 45 minute catch up with my, um, with Laura about how I've been finding commuting in from work with my disabilities. And if, you know, working from home or hybrid working would be better. Um, it was meant to be a 45 minute conversation. I'm, I'm sure she had things in her planner after that we ended up talking for two hours 
Um, and for me, she never stopped at one point to look at the time and think, oh, we're running over. I've got somewhere where I need to be. Rather, the entire time, at points I was looking at the time because I was worried, oh, no, I think she needs to go somewhere. But not at once did she make me feel like she wasn't listening to me and truly taking in and reflecting what I was saying. And I think that moves on to the second point is that some people listen to just take it in, but some people listen to reflect on it and then answer. Um, and that is, you can see that in the quality of the conversation, you know, the responses that you're getting back. Are they asking you questions leading up on, leading on what you just said? Um, and I think for, for me during that entire conversation, with the more we spoke, the more she was trying to find ways that she can support me in the best way possible and for me that's really really valuable and I've been in conversations where the other person just says okay okay and they reiterate the same point that they made at the start of the conversation and you think okay so I just I just said all of that for the last 10 minutes and I didn't mean anything um so I think it's really about the quality of conversation that you receive from the other person especially when you're talking about something for example like talking about your non-visible disabilities, it is a quite co hard conversation to have. Not everyone is comfortable having that conversation. Um, you know, you make yourself vulnerable to say, I mean, I mean, I made myself vulnerable to say, as someone so junior, I don't know how that would affect my career progression. And for her to take that, something that I said when I felt really, really vulnerable and to reflect on that and to support me and give me a reassurance and talk me through that, even if it took an extra hour and 15 minutes, that is a sign of what is a really good leader to me, rather than someone who would have said, we have an EPA in place, we have HR that you can go to. And as you described the impact of that conversation, it, it seems to me that there are multiple benefits. The number one and most important benefit is that of the individual well-being of, of any individual in an organisation. But it sounds like there are layers and layers of benefits that then knock on from that. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important that, for example, the kind of traditional method in a workplace is that you get promoted through seniority and then with seniority, you get that leadership role. Um, but for me, it's is that person capable of being a good leader? They might be able to, you know, excel in the quality of their work. But are they able to, you know, if you're giving them a junior person to manage, are they able to effectively listen and support that person? Sometimes, unfortunately, they're not. Um, and some are really keen to learn, but I think some aren't. I know that my manager has never been in an experience where she's had to support someone with non-visible disabilities, particularly my disabilities. And for her, it's that curiosity of asking those questions and just straight up saying, like, I've, I've never thought about this before, but you know, you've told me this and now I'm thinking about this. So what would you love for everybody to be asking in an interview if they're being interviewed in order to increase the chances that they're going to understand whether they're going to get the kind of support that you're talking about or something else? I think depending on your individual circumstances, I would say before you have an interview, think about what you would need from your employer. You know, for example, with me, with my non-visible disabilities, it's I need that flexibility around um, working from home. I need that flexibility around doctor's appointments, for example. So it's about thinking about what your needs are and it communicating to them that because it's, it is really hard. It's really, really scary to say, actually, you know, in this competitive world where you probably have 100 other young people to interview, um, I've got this one request, not knowing how that request is going to impact the result of your interview. Um, but I can say I've dodged many bullets now. But asking that question, 
you know you might feel horrible at the time like you got such a negative response but afterwards I'm like you know thankfully I didn't proceed with that application or thankfully I decided to turn down that offer because if I was in that workplace and I wasn't getting the support I needed that would impact my well-being negatively that would impact kind of my work in terms of career progression that would impact my happiness um there's so many different like we spoke about before the impacts of what a good leader can have on you it can also impact you as much or even worse if it's if it's a negative experience and there's such an important piece of guidance I hear from you there to the person listening to that request to recognize not only the and be curious about not only the content of the request but the courage it's taken to make it yeah something that I always try and do is I will verbalize and say when I describe my conditions I will say since the age of 12 I've been in pain every second of my day every day and for me saying that it's not because I want anyone to feel bad or uncomfortable it's because I'm trying to help the other person put themselves in my shoes and then respond accordingly and I'm not saying that everyone needs to put them you know try that put that extra effort in to make someone understand but I think like you said it's for the listener to really take that moment to reflect not just listen and move on but listen to reflect and then respond it's great advice thank you so I'd love to keep you for longer but our time is almost up um but we do also love to ask for a recommendation a resource something that you would love to recommend people read or watch or listen to yeah I think I read this a really amazing book recently called the culture map and it's to do with kind of intercultural communication and being able to learn how to interact with individuals from different cultures. And I think that's that's always going to be a challenge for, for everyone. Um, even though I was born in the UK, um, there are some kind of cultural norms that I have that um, when I interact with individuals who aren't South Asian, I struggle with, and I'm pretty sure that they struggle with as well. And that book for me was honestly enlightening because it helps you understand the other person on the other side so much more and you know sometimes we might be speaking to someone and think the language they're using is a bit rude or they're not as polite or you know with different cultures you open up emails in a different way you don't say hope you're well hope you had a lovely weekend you will just get straight to the point um so for that for me that that book was really eye-opening to how can I interact with people that I may have never interacted with before understanding and making others comfortable in that situation as well. So I think, obviously I've spoken about a lot of my experience with non-visible disabilities, but I think cultural aspects are such a big um, factor to, to think about as well. Um, it's just such an interesting book because you'll see, especially the nuances of someone who might have um, two identities. So for example, I identify as British Indian, how that intersects and how that might influence the way I interact with maybe even someone from India or someone from Britain so really really interesting books I'd definitely recommend to have a read of that straight on my list (laughs) Tanya I feel like there's I feel like you've just opened the door to another episode so I might have to get you back on um, to to talk more thank you so much for your generosity of insight and everything that you've shared today it's been brilliant talking to you thank you thank you so much so that's it for this episode of leadership letters Head over to thecausewaycoaching.com if you'd like to get involved in the podcast by recommending somebody to come on or writing a leadership letter of your own or to get links to any of the things that we have talked about during today's episode. And a quick reminder that from now on, 
the Leadership Letters lowdown that you used to listen to at this point will now be the Towards Leadership podcast, a place where we will take a deeper dive into some of the things we've heard in the Leadership Letters podcast, as well as other ideas, resources, inspiration, tools, things that will support and challenge you as leaders as you navigate your way through all that leadership asks of you. We'll look forward to seeing you over there. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection of all things leadership. See you soon. Mm -hmm.